Welcome to Thesis, a podcast about trends in higher education systems in international spheres, exploring the field of higher education across the world. I'm your host, Kelly Davis. In today's episode, we discuss first and family students in Australia with Professor Sarah O'Shea and Dr. Kylie Austin. Professor O'Shea has published a significant amount of research on first and family students in Australia and in Europe. Much of her work observes how first and family students are intersected by other categories and groupings that can lead to educational marginalization. This includes the six equity groups currently identified in Australia. Dr. Kylie Austin is the Associate Director of Student Equity and Success at the University of Wollongong, where she has led programming efforts to support and celebrate first and family students, or first-gen students as they are called at the University of Wollongong. In this episode, our guests reference a forthcoming open access book on first and family students and an app for first and family students currently in its pilot phase. When links to these resources become available, they will be added to the show notes of the episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thesis. Today, we have two guests with us, and I'd like to start by having them introduce themselves. So briefly, I'm going to say, just say hello to Dr. Kylie Austin, who is the Associate Director of Student Equity of Success at the University of Wallalong. And Kylie, you might, uh, you might want to uh, correct me on my pronunciation of that, <laughs> but thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much, Kelly. Great to have uh, great to have you. And then second, we have Professor Sarah O'Shea, who is a, a higher education researcher specializing in research with students from equity backgrounds. Sarah has completed a lot of work with first and family students, not just in Australia, but also across Europe. Oh, thank you, Kelly. And look, before we begin, I hope you don't mind, but I'd I just like to do something that we do here in Australia whenever we commence a meeting, and that's we acknowledge the country that we're sitting on and the traditional custodians of the land. So just before we begin, I would just like to say that today I'm located on Darawal country, and I'd like to pay my respects to the Wadi Wadi people and to their elders, past, present and emerging, and also to the Aboriginal community that continue to care for country here in Australia. And I stand for a future that profoundly respects and acknowledges Aboriginal perspectives, culture, language and history, and of course, a continued effort to fight for Aboriginal justice and rights, paving the way for a strong future. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, So, Sarah, we're actually going to start with you. If you can start by telling us a bit about your research on first and family students, as well as highlight the research you've conducted with this cohort, that would be fantastic. Okay, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. That would be wonderful. I've worked out that I've probably spent the last 15 years working with first and family students. So I was first became really interested in this group, actually, when I was doing my PhD. So and my PhD was looking at women who were all the first in their family to go to university and they were in the first year of university study and I I followed them through that year through the highs and the lows and really explored deeply uh, what what that experience was like for them and the kind of impact it had on their family and those around them but I've I worked out quite recently that I've probably done about a thousand or more interviews with students who are all first in the family to come to university and I've actually done it at all stages of the life 
life cycle. I'm surprised by that because I didn't actually set out 15 years ago to do that. Um, but I've worked out that I've talked to students prior to coming to university as they transition into university at the end of their studies and also most recently after they graduate. And some of the areas that I've focused on in particular that have really attracted me is how in university interacts with family life, uh, the experiences of older first and family students returning to university, how identity is formed when you're first in family and you don't know or you've, you've not got anyone else in your family who's been to university. I also come from a strengths perspective. So I'm very interested in the capitals that first and family students bring to university and how the institution could value and leverage these. And as I mentioned, most recently, I explored that postgraduate landscape where when first and family students leave university after graduating, how did they manage the employment and, you know, how, how does that work? So, yeah, in a nutshell, I've spent a lot of time working with first and family students. A thousand interviews. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for sharing with us a bit of your background and your research areas. You'd certainly have covered quite a bit. So um, I expect this to be a very rich discussion about first and family students in Australia. But first, Kylie, if you'd like to follow up and tell us about yourself and your role at the University of Wollong. Yeah. Um, so hi, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for having us, Kelly. My role at the University of Wollongong currently is the Associate Director of Student Equity and Success. I've worked at the University of Wollongong for the last 15 years and, and came to the university with a teaching background, so worked in local primary and high schools and had firsthand experience, I guess, of some of the barriers that students had in, you know, even considering what their post-school destinations were. So at the University of Wollongong for the last 15 years, I created our university's outreach uh, program. And so year on year over the last 15 years, that program has engaged with over 15,000 students over a 430-kilometre radius, which is an hour south of Sydney. And uh, while I was in that, uh, I was in that role for about five years and um, Sarah and I coincidentally, uh, I think Sarah moved to the University of Wollongong at that point and um, I was really interested in research-informed practice and so uh, Sarah uh, subsequently became my PhD supervisor so whilst I was practicing in uh, the equity and the outreach space uh, supporting students to consider you know what their post-school aspirations were I also undertook a PhD with Sarah as my supervisor as well and really explored the concept of partnerships and how we all how we work with students and work with schools and with organisations to enhance the um, post-school outcomes of students from a whole range of equity backgrounds. And um, since completing that, I've subsequently uh, worked in other areas of the university while still maintaining that really strong equity lens to look at how equity students are supported across the life cycle and how we empower students to really you know, make informed decisions about their future and provide every opportunity for students to succeed as well. Thank you, Kylie. And it's great to have you both in this conversation because you know each other, but also we have the research side and we get the practical piece of it, um, which is very important for knowledge dissemination and, and applicability. So it's great that we have you both here for this conversation. Uh, now, Sarah, I want to make sure that we ground ourselves in understanding what it means to be a first-in-family student 
in Australia. Um, and so in that definition, if you can describe the, the history of the term, perhaps some of the current demographics uh, that are seen in Australia, and, and then we'll, we'll talk about how, how higher education institutions are focusing on these groups of students. But let's start with the definition and the history and um, some of the, the data. Okay. Yeah, this, this is a really good question. So when I started researching first in family students, I have to say that there was not a lot of work happening in Australia at that time. And even now within Australia, we really don't have one agreed upon definition of what is a first in family student. And that's that's quite problematic, particularly from a research perspective. So generally, when we look at the data, the national data and the demographics of students, how it is assessed is on parental educational levels. So there is a question usually on the application form when you go to university asking you, you know, what is your parents' highest level of qualification? And that's sort of where we get our data from. Now, the problem with that is often when you're an older student in particular, you know, what level of education your parents have often isn't something that you think is relevant to you. So that question can go unanswered. It's not required. It's only very recently started to be aggregated and reported as well. So when I started out looking at this group, it was very difficult to to find much information on them. And for me, though, I think what what I did quite early on was I came up with my own definition, and that is the work that I do is with students where they have no one in the immediate family, and that includes parents, partners, siblings, or children that have attended a university and obtained a degree. So that's all, all of my research. That's the definition I use, but that differs uh, when I'm reading, you know, research in the field, I that's not necessarily the definition that other people are using. They may be using the parental educational levels, or they may have a variation on that. So the other the other issue around sort of the history of the term, if you like, is first in family is often used interchangeably with the term first generation. But these are quite different terms. So first generation is used a lot, I know, in the US, for example. It's also used in, in Europe in some European contexts. But first generation might refer to, yes, you are the first in your immediate family to ever go to university, but equally it might mean that you're just the first in your generation. So technically there could have been people in previous generations, maybe even your grandparents that have been to university. And and I sort of believe that if you've got anyone in your family or around you that's been to university, it's qualitatively quite different to someone who has no one. So they have no one. They have no guide on the side. They have no one where they feel that they could go and ask questions of. And with a lot of the students that I've talked to, there's no one in the community. There's no one, you know, there's no one in their networks that they can really approach to ask questions and really get a sense of what university is all about. So I think that's quite different. And just to give you briefly, I know you mentioned about the demographics. So to give you some brief idea of like how how much of the population in Australia, approximately 51% of students in 
Australia are first in the family. And that's using that parental educational level measure that because that's the only one we have really with the statistics. But in some institutions in Australia, that figure can actually be as high as 70%. So this is a really significant population across the contemporary university landscape in Australia. And importantly, uh, first in family is a really, it's a great way of actually reaching out to students because, and this is a lot of what my work talks about. So in, in Australia, we have six, what we call six equity groups. And these are groups that are regarded as being educationally marginalized. So those groups are uh, students from rural, regional, remote areas, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, students from low socioeconomic backgrounds, students who identify as having a disability, students who don't have English as a first language, and also women in non-traditional fields like science. So there are six groups. And what I found, first and family is not part of that those categories. What I found is when I've interviewed first and family students and I've actually asked them to sort of talk a bit about their background or even in some cases to sort of tick off on a demographic sheet what um, what particular categories do they think apply to them. What I found is often this group is highly intersected and by that I mean they, they're derived from a number of different equity groups and that's really a good thing I think from a university perspective. Because if you want to welcome students to university, you've got to be really careful. You know, you can't be reaching out to students and say, look, we're here to help you because you're poor. You know, like people don't want to be identified in that way. But if a, a university is reaching out and say, we want to welcome you because you're the first in your family to come to university and this is a really positive thing, then I think you can have far greater impact in a really positive way. So I'll stop there because I know Kylie has lots to talk about in relation to that. Yes, absolutely. Kylie, do you have any follow-up thoughts at this time? Uh, One more follow-up question for Sarah there, but if you have any uh, additional comments, please. No, I I will build on what Sarah's kind of said, but but I'm happy for you to ask that extra question. (laughs) Perfect. Thanks. So Sarah, you mentioned that now they're actually starting to collect this data. They're finding kind of an assessment mechanism. Well, they found one potential that they're they're using. Maybe it could be better, but, and then also there's such a, that's a really high percentage of students who are first in family in Australian universities. What does this mean in terms of how higher education institutions, how much focus they're putting on the groups of students? Is this a new means of actually assessing the the numbers? Is this a sign that there's the focus is increasing? Is there more push to focus since it's such a large group of students? Yeah, so there's been a real shift here in Australia. I I would say, from my perspective, the shift probably started to happen about five years ago when there was a a sort of a a light bulb moment, not quite, but we're universities started to recognize, wow, we've got a lot of these students and we're not really engaging with them very, you know, purposefully or uh, in a direct way. But I think in the last sort of six months, things have really ratcheted up. And the reason is we got a new government 
into Australia. So now we now have a Labour government here in Australia and our Minister for Education, Jason Clare, is first in the family. And he actually spends a lot of time telling people that he is the first in his family. And in fact, it's been really interesting to watch the political party of the day all talk about their education. And a lot of them, the ministers are first in their family to come to university. And this, of course, has shifted the whole discourse in the sector even more because there's a general recognition now that this is, number one, a really big cohort. And number two, the government are passionate, you know, as passionate as politicians can be, about actually ensuring that students from equity backgrounds, including first and family students, are not only sort of invited into universities, which is happening in really positive way, but also that we retain them because our retention rates aren't particularly good when it comes to equity students more generally. So we're seeing a, a, it's a really exciting time in higher education in Australia right now. And we're seeing this sort of shift where th- there, there will be more productive engagement, I think, with this with this group. Great. Thank you for that overview. It's super interesting about the, the po- political piece of it um, and, and how that kind of garners attention or creates more of a rhetoric in, in Australian society in general. It's super interesting. But I think this is a great point to move towards Kylie now. So you're the Associate Director of Student Equity and Success uh, at your university. Can you tell us more about your job and how it's connected to supporting first and family students at the University of Wallalong? And maybe thinking about there if there's a shift in focus, what is the University of Wallalong doing to support this group of students while they attend university? Absolutely. Um, I I might take a bit of the historical view to kind of build on Sarah's points earlier. And if I reflect back to kind of 15 years ago when we started working in equity and Sarah kind of mentioned the shift that's happening in higher education and that level of excitement now, you know, that same level of excitement was experienced 15 years ago when we had a really significant policy shift with the introduction of the Bradley Review in Australia, which kind of really set the equity agenda in higher education institutions over the last 15 years. And and the reason why I mentioned that is, you know, Sarah really identified the six equity groups and there was a lot of excitement and passion and willing people willing to, wanting to help in universities at, at that point 15 years ago. And what ended up kind of happening was because these six equity groups were identified, a lot of universities, and including our own, uh, went away and developed programs specifically for these individual groups of students. And interestingly, what happened over that period of time was that, you know, programs that would pop up would pop up specifically for, for as Sarah kind of mentioned, low socioeconomic students. And one of the kind of unexpected, you know, impacts of designing a program for low SES students that a lot of university staff potentially didn't consider at that initial point when this policy agenda was was implemented was students were starting to ask, why am I getting this help and not the person sitting next to me? And it was, and university staff, you know, would have to, you know, try and explain to them, you're getting this help because you're from a low socioeconomic background. But, you know, students from low socioeconomic background 
ones have a range of, you know, skill levels, they have a range of knowledges. And uh, what was sometimes being put in place was kind of labeling that group as deficit. And, and a group needing support. And uh, at the University of Wollongong, you know, we subsequently introduced a program for first in family students and first, uh, we called it First Gen. And what that enabled us to do was really shift that rhetoric away from someone who, as kind of Sarah identified, was was potentially, you know, financially disadvantaged and, and needing help to someone who was the first in family to come to university and how and that how that should be celebrated. And so it really that lens really enabled us to shift the way that we practiced. Um, and it was less about providing students with help and more about celebrating the diversity of our student cohorts and opening up opportunity. And so the types of um, so you know what what we kind of saw was like a shift away from things like tutoring programs and and mentoring programs and things like that to you know big celebratory events where the students and the parent their parents and their families were invited onto campus and you know we did big high teas and things like that where and we welcomed students in a way that really celebrated the fact that they were first in family and equally we could engage with their families on that journey as well and and build that you know sense of pride and celebration within our families you know some of the other things that that we're introducing at the moment is you know when students graduate they're getting a little first in family clip that goes on to their trencher at the University of Wollongong so and the other kind of yeah, we, we were really able to bring our colleagues, our staff on board with this. And so many staff at the university, at all levels of the university, identified as first in family. So they were able to share their stories with their students. We were able to capture their stories as well and share them more broadly with our student cohorts. And I think, you know, some of the language that we used were things like, you know, first person to walk on the moon. How special is that? You know, so, you know, being first in your family to go to university, you know, it's a, it's a huge achievement so it really enabled us to kind of shift that rhetoric from a lens of support and a deficit lens to a lens of celebration and enabling opportunity. Oh, that's, that's super interesting to see it in the institutional context that shift and that change. Uh, Sarah I'm curious if in your research the if the methods that you've seen uh, universities follow are to um, support first and family students uh, such as the ones that Kylie just described, is this common, this shift from kind of the deficit to celebratory or uh, uh, approach or what other methods are have you seen kind of come come up? Yeah, look, I think uh, Wollongong and particularly outreach under Kylie's leadership has been cutting edge in terms of taking this up and, and running with it. But other universities are very interested in this cohort now. So some of the things that I've seen are you know, for example, with in mentoring programs, making sure that first and family students are mentored by those who were first in the family too and more advanced in their degree. So purposefully uh, connecting those students because when you're first in the family, as I mentioned, you don't often have that guide on the side. So the university is creating a scaffold, if you like, around the student and linking them up with someone who is also first in family and so would know the kinds of things that they would need to know. As Carly mentioned, there has been a push to sort of involve the family more because what we've 
found in research is that, you know, often the family is portrayed in a negative way as a deficit, as baggage. But actually, when you talk to the students, the family can be a really positive force. And uh, I remember in one study I did, we asked the question, you know, when you get a high mark on an assignment, like when you do well in an essay or whatever, who, who do you tell? And for a lot of the students, they said, well, I, I, you know, I don't really tell anyone because no one really understands what it is that I do here. But a significant proportion would say, oh, I tell I tell my family because they're very proud of me. They don't really understand what it means, but they're very proud. And that is what, you know, sustains me and keeps me going. So a number of universities have uh, engaged with the family in similar sort of ways to to what Kylie said, because uh, that celebration is so important. You know, uh, it's framing it up. Now, there are people out there who would say, and I, I've spoken to them, oh, well, you know, I was first in the family and I've done okay. You know, it's not it's not an equity group. It's not a group that needs special attention. They'll be okay. And And what I would sort of say back to those people nicely is that university landscapes have shifted so much now because we've got large numbers. People are very busy. Students come into campus and they leave campus. They don't have time to make those social connections. They don't have time to, you know, often um, spend time on campus even, you know. So the more we can do to sort of ensure that they have some sort of network to draw on, and that network would be people like in their people in their family. So it's important we engage with family. Also, um, other students. So it's important that we make those connections with other students and also staff, um, because this move for staff to maybe talk a little bit about the fact that their first family is so key because then students can begin to see, okay, I, I if that person can do it, maybe I can do it as well. So there's a, there's a range of ways that it's important to engage with, with this group. And Kylie, you've already talked about some of those specific practices that or you've mentioned a couple of them at your university, but if you'd like to mention any others, uh, perhaps that reflect uh, what Sarah's just shared in the research or uh, that do not reflect are totally different. If you want to share some of those practices and also importantly, what are the impacts that you've actually seen these practices have on this group of students? So, um, like I said, there's a, there's a range of kind of, you know, first in family students are not a homogenous group. As Sarah kind of said, you know, they reflect their intersectionality with other groups is, is quite significant. And so being able to, uh, I think the first thing from our perspective is, you know, we can't assume as staff often what students need. And so a students as partners approach to the design of any kind of first-in-family interventions is really critical because we, ne we need to work with our students to identify, you know, what it is that is going to enable them to access and then subsequently succeed in their studies rather than as staff thinking we know what they need and, and doing something to that group rather than doing something with that group to kind of 
quote some of Sarah's previous research as well. And so, so working with students as partners in the design of any of these initiatives, I think is, is the first step, that, that that's the critical step. Subsequent to that, you know, there's been a range of a range of activity that we've done over the years. The first one, I guess, is around really around the brand. So, um, you know, we've developed quite a visible brand around first in family students. You know, staff, we've, we've got like there's a website, staff and students both get badges um, and little tokens uh, that describe what is first in family and how important that is when they arrive. And we've got first in family kind of t-shirts and things like that as well. So, you know, we've de- developed up a whole brand around the first gen um, at UOW and really kind of position that as a trailblazer. And, you know, so in terms of, you know, that celebratory uh, approach. The other things that we've done is we have created, you know, the work, you know, when Sarah was work, um, working with us at the University of Wollongong, we we started off transition type programs as well for first in family students, some of which have continued. And we re, we've reframed that as a start strong and belong. And so that really links into kind of what Sarah was saying in terms of giving students the best start at university in terms of that guide on the side and, and what they need to know, but also making those connections with other first in family students that are further along in their degree and also building those networks within their cohorts as well. We've also done a lot of kind of celebratory type events where we've had our staff um, as well as other students share their first in family stories to both the students and their families as well. And there's, I mean, this is not something that we're, we're doing at Wollongong right now necessarily, but there are there are some things that we are looking at and particularly around how families are engaged in this. And there's some really interesting apps that enable students to kind of identify who their supporters are and to be enable kind of higher education providers and students to then communicate what's happening in their higher education degree with their families and supporters as well to kind of continue to bring them on the journey. But but as kind of Sarah was saying, to kind of, you know, you know, provide a platform for them to connect and understand what's happening in their higher education experience Experience so that they can support their child or their family member or their friend or whoever it is to kind of, you know, succeed at university also. The other, I guess the other thing that we've also done is, you know, we embed it in our language. Like when our, you know, chancellors and vice chancellors get up and talk about graduation, uh, they talk about, they, you know, they specifically call out how important it is to be first in family at you know, at our institution and how that is celebrated and, you know, specifically thank the families in that graduation experience. And we're looking at, you know, having little symbols on students' trenches as they graduate as well to make that a real kind of celebratory experience because that's another opportunity to bring the family in and engage the family at that point as well. But there are, there, like Sarah was saying that, I mean, we're, you know, we're at quite a critical point in terms of how we uh, support students from equity backgrounds in the higher education sector in Australia. So we are currently, as Sarah kind of said, we've got a new government in place. There's what they, They're calling it the Australian Universities Accord. So we're doing a bit of a review of our higher education sector at the moment and specifically looking at how we support equity students going forward. And so at the University of Wollongong, uh, at the moment, we're doing um, a big benchmarking and data analysis exercise, but also running a whole heap of uh, collaboration labs with our students to really understand, you know, what it is that we need to do over the next 15 years 
years to support our, our student cohorts to be successful at university. So we're constantly improving, we're engaging with students to really kind of think about, you know, what are their needs going forward and how can we build upon these programs that we have delivered at UOW over the last 15 years and continue to evolve them to meet the needs of our students as well. A and we've identified a lot of good practice as well in other, in other universities, as Sarah has said, yeah. Mm, it sounds like so much work is going into this. Uh, I, I'm I have a follow up question about these apps though. So the app, the student signs up, and then the whoever they identify as somebody who's kind of part of their maybe influencing sphere gets kind of a notification or such, and they also tune into the app. Am I understanding yeah. this correctly? Yeah, yeah. So it's an opportunity then for students to kind of share any achievements and things like that with their family. But it's also an opportunity for staff who work in this space in the university um, to communicate maybe what might be happening at certain points of the year in the university life cycle. So it might be something like, you know, we're coming up to exams at the moment, you know, students are studying really hard, you might find, um, you know, the, here, here's some suggested ways that you can support, you know, your child or your friend or, you know, your niece or nephew or whoever it is at university at the moment to because we're kind of leading leading into that. Yeah, so that, that's something that we're looking at at the moment as well. We're just, that's one of one of the best practice initiatives that we've identified. And is this, these apps are already in creation or is this something, are these groups that you're looking to partner with? So this, this particular one that we've looked at at the moment is something that has been piloted and tested. Mm, okay, yeah. super yeah. interesting. And I, I, I was, I've been thinking about this. Is there any particular reason why the University of Wollong decided to go with first gen? instead of first and family? So, I mean, in terms of just building on what Sarah said before, about 40% of our cohort at UOW is first in family to go to university. So that was one of the reasons why, you know, the first the first gen program was so appealing to us when, when we started. It was a way to kind of capture quite a significant part of our student domestic our domestic student cohort in a way that, like we said earlier, was, was really positive. I think the reason why we went with first gen is that it resonated, you know, with we I talked about this student partners approach earlier. It it really resonated with the students a lot more than first in family. I um it's I guess it was a bit cooler, but that, I don't even know if you can use that word anymore. But um, you know, I think they they it 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 appealed to that to that cohort a bit more. So yeah, super interesting. I just was curious because uh, the you know there's all these common terms that use that are used in different places, and so it's interesting to see yeah what what do people prefer, what sticks, what do they mean? Um, so thank you for sharing that. That's that's funny that it was more popular <laughs> among the yeah, cohort. <laughs> um, so we've mentioned a lot the role of family in, of course, the first and family students journey, which uh, is definitely very prominent in kind of all these areas that we've been looking at for the podcast. So I think that a lot of this has already been mentioned, but if both of you want to comment uh, or have any final comments on the role of family members in the student's journey, Sarah, perhaps from the research angle and Kylie from the more practical angle, uh, that would be great. Okay, I, I might start and then and then Kylie. So I think it's really interesting, you know, when Kylie talks about the apps and, you know, this engagement with family, because it, it, I remember talking about this quite a long time ago, not about apps. I think the app sounds great. But some of the research I did was actually to, 
to talk to family members as well, which was really interesting. And those family members included children and parents and grandparents and get their perspective on what it was like when a member of their family went back to university. But it's only very recently that we we think about our learners in higher ed as having like as being contextualized. So, you know, for so long, uh, universities have been completely preoccupied with the idea that when you get to university, you are an independent learner and that, that and that should preclude. It doesn't matter, you know, what your, your context or your background is. And universities in general, I'm not talking about specific universities, have been really bad for a long time and actually understanding who their students are and and that's part of the reason you know why sometimes think things happen and those you know processes at universities that don't in any way reflect who who their who the population is you know so we know a lot of our students are older you know particularly in Australia and it's taken a long time for that message to get through to actual uh, institutions in the sector so one of the things that I always talk about is it's so important that we are aware of who our learners are we need to contextualize our learners and that doesn't mean that you know we're we're sort of taking the place of schools because that has been said to me oh you know we're a university we're not a school we don't we're not going to talk to parents you know these are academics we're not going to talk to parents we don't you know we treat the the learner as an I- individual but slowly it, it, what's happening and what the realization is is the importance of these support networks around students like it is more than just what the university can do but the university needs to partner with the family and the community of the learners to ensure that they uh, transition in and through um the institution so i say all that just to do now to lead up to a shameless plug, um, because I am actually at the moment revising a book where we've looked at this uh, exact thing in terms of first and family students. And the book is called First and Family Students, University Experience and Family Life. And it actually looks, a number of chapters look at the impact of family on students. And I can say this, and I can tell you about this book with with no attempt to make any money, because actually I, I've, um, I'm have i making this book open access. So uh, the book will be available to everyone and there's no, no payment. But it, it's been interesting going back because uh, this book initially came out in 2017, and now I've updated it with the my co-authors. And it's great to see how much we've moved on. So we're using more recent literature and to see that development of more and more research that really clearly points to the importance of family. Yet five years ago, that was very scarce on the ground. So for me, it's a really positive move that's happening both in Australia, but also in Europe as well. There's a lot of really good research coming out uh, in Europe around the importance of family in in sort of ensuring that first and family students achieve their academic goals. Kylie, do you want to add from the more practical piece? Yeah, absolutely. So Look, I might do, I might talk about both kind of, you know, before students arrive as well as once they're at university. You know, in terms of the outreach and widening participation agenda in Australia, 
you know, universities often work with students in primary schools and right through high schools to, you know, run a range of activities to support students to think uh, and make informed decisions about their post-school destinations, you know, and often that's broader than just university. It might be employment and vocational education as well. You know, one of the things that the research identifies is how important family, particularly parents, are to students' post-school decision-making. And often a lot of the feedback that we get from parents and families was that, you know, the how, how complex the higher education system and tertiary education system is to navigate for a parent. A lot, whether um, a lot of parents that we have in our region, they might be, um, they might have done university in another country, but it's their first, they've never navigated the Australian higher education system previously, um, or that their child will, will be the first in their family to go to university um, in Australia at all. And so one of the initiatives that we would run um, alongside our student-focused outreach and widening participation programs was a program for parents uh, where parents could come along and, um, you know, attend, we, we would run um, kind of like a Zoom and wine sessions in the evenings, usually around about 7.30 at night after kids have gone to bed and things like that. And um, we would run sessions for parents and, you know, they'd have their coffees and their glasses of wine and their dinners and things like that and talk about, uh, we'd talk about, you know, some of the, like a lot of the things that student that parents needed to know about supporting their child to make post-school decisions. So, you know, we took it from a careers perspective perspective um, and we would also you know talk to them about things like it you know admissions and how to apply and you know even breaking down like what's a bachelor's degree and things and breaking down a lot of that language that that's so specific to the higher education sector as well to help um, parents navigate we so I think that that's been a really powerful tool. And one of the things that we have also introduced as part of that is when students are engaging in outreach and widening participation activities at UOW, um, we send out a parent and a parent or supporter communication after each of those activities as well to let them know what this what their child did um, as part of that activity, but then also some conversation starters to have with their child when they get home as well. Because, you know, we know that a university engaging with a school or with a student is one part of that ecosystem that sits around that, that learner. And so, and so when we step away, you know, we want to provide parents and supporters with those tools to be able to have those ongoing conversations and about the student's post-school journey. As Sarah said, I think, you know, traditionally universities as students have moved into, into that high, um, into that, you know, university student space has tended to drop off that engagement with parents and families. But I think we've seen how critical and important that is, you know, as we often see like a lot of students, they're so nervous at starting university for the first time. Often it's their first time, for some students, it's their first time on a university campus. And at orientation, you know, we see parents dropping off their children. Sometimes parents were coming in and sitting with their children in orientation as well. Um, so we've run specifically designed sessions for parents as part of orientation as well, so that parents can understand what that university experience is going to be like. And, um, you know, when their university student kicks them out of the orientation session because they don't want, maybe don't want them to be there, that we've got something else that's um, available for the parents that, you know, and it's also provided 
quite, and it's parents talking to parents. So it's not university staff talking to parents. It's parents who have got students, who've got children who are in the higher education system talking to them about, about their experience of, of navigating higher ed and how they've supported their child as well. So it's that whole, you know, like we've done kind of students as partners, it's kind of also parents as partners as well, because they've got that lived experience that is more powerful than a university staff member, you know, providing quite, you know, cold, cold information. And it's an extremely holistic approach is what I'm really noticing in, uh, in previous um, episodes we've talked about for the the experience of first and family or first generation students from before while they're applying or on their way to college, so to speak, and then while they're actually there. And and when the, from the family perspective, it's really taking it from the very beginning once once there is a child, essentially. <laughs> um, so those are really uh, in depth in a way kind of practices to really tackle kind of very holistically. Thank you so much for sharing. And I'm going to go ahead and, and move on to our final question. This has been such an interesting conversation with you both and getting kind of the dual perspectives of the research to and then some kind of practical uh, applications of the research has just been has been great. Uh, And and so we're going to move on to this final question, which we ask all of our guests, which was who was someone or was there a specific experience which was particularly influential in your higher education journey or in the development of your research? And Sarah, we'll start with you. Okay, gosh, uh, that's a good question. I think for me, I I think what really ignited my passion uh, for this area is, I mean, my my research sort of spans the whole equity access participation area. And I think what I, I was really drawn to this area because I could, I'd seen firsthand the transformations that uh, education can achieve. And also I'd seen firsthand that when learning is experienced badly, that it can have long-term effects on your life. And my first job in Australia, because I'm not, you probably tell by my accent, I'm not Australian, I'm actually Irish. But when I came to Australia, actually my first role was teaching young people who who were disengaged from formal teaching environments. And they had dropped out of school or they'd been expelled from school and they were put in a sort of a, a teaching program to to give them basic skills and uh, and this was linked to their social security payments so they had to do it and and for some for some unknown reason i ended up teaching them so i learned a lot from those young people you know they taught me a lot about you know not only about australia but also about you know the difficulties you encounter in life when your learning is is shortened and so that sort of ignited a passion in me to make sure that whatever I did, that I was helping people to make choices that around education. And that might be going to university. I've also worked in the vocational education sector as well. It, it might be going to a, a college or a vocational setting. It didn't always have to be university. And so when I came to research, I really focused in on the ways that we can ensure that 
people have a choice. It's not about whether they come to university or not. It's really about that they have a choice and that the opportunity is there and that the universities or the educational institutions are being the best version of themselves to enable uh, students from all walks of life to access education and learning. Thank you. And Kylie, if you want to share a person or an experience that was particularly influential. Yeah, I think probably mine's probably quite personal, I guess. I um, I remember my mum had a go at university when I was in school and subsequently dropped, like had to, had to drop out because then, um, you know, had further children and things like that. And I remember sitting on the floor at a lecture, in a lecture theatre, like I think I was a few, like maybe five or six years old. And, and it, I, you know, I found, I found that incredibly interesting. So I was then, you know, first in my family to then subsequently go on and, and complete a university degree. And then mum actually came back and, and followed suit and, and, and completed hers as well. And I think what, what I saw for my parents actually at that time is just how fundamentally that changed their trajectory of their lives and, and then influenced ours as well, just in terms of the opportunities and the fulfillment that it gave mum to subsequently go on and then become a teacher, you know, and things like that as well. So um, I think that's probably, you know, in terms of, you know, why I went on to higher education, I think I think it was quite personal. And then if I think about, you know, what's led me into this space from a professional perspective, you know, I think of people like Yvonne Kerr, Sarah, and Jennifer Heath, who have all been, you know, really big champions in you know, particularly in Wollongong, but but also nationally in terms of championing that equity agenda and and being a real champion for the students that we work with as well. And um, yeah, to I think um, to work alongside people like that um, over the course of my professional career has been really exciting. And and to see you know to see to see subsequently see students that you have worked with in what what's probably with in year five or year six, and then coming to university and recognizing you and saying hello, like I made it. Like um, you know, I think that that's pretty that's pretty special from my perspective. Yeah, the the impact that you can see so relatively quickly from working one-on-one with students and whatnot is pretty, it's very gratifying and encouraging and motivating. Well, thank you both so much uh, for joining us today. It has been a fantastic conversation uh, and I'm so grateful to you both for sharing your your expertise and knowledge in this area. Thank Thanks you so much, Kelly. On our next episode, we'll be talking about the term used to describe first-generation students in Germany, Arbeiterkinder, and the experiences of these students in the German system with Martina Kubler. Martina is the regional coordinator for Bavaria at the non-for-profit organization Arbeiterkind.de. If you liked what you listened to on Thesis today, please follow the podcast and leave us a rating or a comment. Links to relevant work by our guests and their contact information can be found in the show notes. Today's thesis episode does not take position on the issues discussed on the podcast. Opinions expressed on this episode are solely those of the guests or hosts. This podcast is produced and edited by Ekaterina Korinska, Ayla Rubenstein, Tracy Waldman, Kelly Davis, Snow Rose, and Maria Angeles Hidalgo. Original music is produced by Petter Strom. Thanks for listening to Thesis. We'll talk to you next time.